Chapters 111 through 122 of the Enchiridion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The Enchiridion by St. Augustine. Chapter 111. After the resurrection, however, when the final universal judgment has been completed, there shall be two kingdoms, each with its own distinct boundaries, the one Christ's, the other the devil's, the one consisting of the good, the other of the bad, both, however, consisting of angels and men. The former shall have no will, the latter no power to sin, and neither shall have any power to choose death, but the former shall live truly and happily in eternal life, and the latter shall drag a miserable existence in eternal death without the power of dying, for the life and the death shall both be without end. But among the former there shall be degrees of happiness, one being more preeminently happy than another, and among the latter there shall be degrees of misery, one being more endurably miserable than another. Chapter 112 It is in vain, then, that some, indeed very many, make moan over the eternal punishment and perpetual unintermitted torments of the lost, and say they do not believe it shall be so, not indeed that they directly oppose themselves to holy scripture, but at the suggestion of their own feelings they soften down everything that seems hard, and give a milder turn to statements which they think are rather designed to terrify than to be received as literally true. For hath God, they say, forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Now they read this in one of the holy psalms. But without doubt we are to understand it as spoken of those who are elsewhere called vessels of mercy, because even they are freed from misery not on account of any merit of their own, but solely through the pity of God. Or, if the men we speak of insist that this passage applies to all mankind, there is no reason why they should therefore suppose that there will be an end to the punishment of those of whom it is said, these shall go away into everlasting punishment. For this shall end in the same manner and at the same time as the happiness of those of whom it is said, but the righteous unto life eternal. But let them suppose, if the thought gives them pleasure, that the pains of the damned are, at certain intervals, in some degree assuaged. For even in this case the wrath of God, that is, their condemnation, for it is this, and not any disturbed feeling in the mind of God that is called his wrath, abideth upon them. That is, his wrath, though it still remains, does not shut up his tender mercies, though his tender mercies are exhibited not in putting an end to their eternal punishment, but in mitigating or in granting them a respite from their torments. For the psalm does not say, to put an end to his anger, or when his anger is passed by, but in his anger. Now if this anger stood alone, or if it existed in the smallest conceivable degree, yet to be lost out of the kingdom of God, to be in exile from the city of God, to be alienated from the life of God, to have no share in that great goodness which God hath laid up for them that fear him, and hath wrought out for them that trust in him, would be a punishment so great, that supposing it to be eternal, no torments that we know of, continued through as many ages as man's imagination can conceive, could be compared with it. Chapter 113 This perpetual death of the wicked, then, that is, their alienation from the life of God, shall abide for ever, 
and shall be common to them all, whatever men, prompted by their human affections, may conjecture as to a variety of punishments, or as to a mitigation or intermission of their woes. Just as the eternal life of the saints shall abide for ever, and shall be common to them all, whatever grades of rank and honor there may be among those who shine with an harmonious effulgence. Chapter 114 Out of this confession of faith, which is briefly comprehended in the Creed, and which, carnally understood, is milk for babes, but spiritually apprehended and studied, is meat for strong men, springs the good hope of believers, and this is accompanied by a holy love. But of these matters, all of which are true objects of faith, those only pertain to hope which are embraced in the Lord's Prayer. For cursed is the man that trusteth in man, is the testimony of holy writ, and consequently this curse attaches also to the man who trusteth in himself. Therefore, except from God the Lord, we ought to ask for nothing, either that we hope to do well, or hope to obtain as a reward of our good works. Chapter 115 Accordingly, in the Gospel according to Matthew, the Lord's Prayer seems to embrace seven petitions, three of which ask for eternal blessings, and the remaining four for temporal, these latter, however, being necessary antecedents to the attainment of the eternal. For when we say, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, which some have interpreted, not unfairly, in body as well as in spirit, we ask for blessings that are to be enjoyed for ever, which are indeed begun in this world, and grow in us as we grow in grace, but in their perfect state, which is to be looked for in another life, shall be a possession for evermore. But when we say, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, who does not see that we ask for blessings that have reference to the wants of this present life? In that eternal life, where we hope to live for ever, the hallowing of God's name and his kingdom, and his will in our spirit and body, shall be brought to perfection, and shall endure to everlasting. But our daily bread is so called, because there is here constant need for as much nourishment as the spirit and the flesh demand, whether we understand the expression spiritually, or carnally, or in both senses. It is here too that we need the forgiveness that we ask, for it is here that we commit the sins. Here are the temptations which allure or drive us into sin. Here, in a word, is the evil from which we desire deliverance. But in that other world there shall be none of these things. Chapter 116 But the evangelist Luke, in his version of the Lord's Prayer, embraces not seven, but five petitions. Not, of course, that there is any discrepancy between the two evangelists, but that Luke indicates by his very brevity the mode in which the seven petitions of Matthew are to be understood. For God's name is hallowed in the Spirit, and God's kingdom shall come in the resurrection of the body. Luke, therefore, intending to show that the third petition is a sort of repetition of the first two, has chosen to indicate that by omitting the third altogether. Then he adds three others one for daily bread, another for pardon of sin, another for immunity from temptation. And what Matthew puts as the last petition, but deliver us from evil, Luke has omitted, to show us that it is embraced in the previous petition about temptation. Matthew, indeed, himself says, but deliver, not and deliver, as if to show that the petitions are virtually one. Do not this, but this so that every man is to understand that he is being delivered from evil in the very fact of his not being led into temptation. 
Chapter 117 And now, as to love, which the Apostle declares to be greater than the other two graces, that is, than faith and hope, the greater the measure in which it dwells in a man, the better is the man in whom it dwells. For when there is a question as to whether a man is good, one does not ask what he believes, or what he hopes, but what he loves. For the man who loves aright, no doubt believes and hopes aright. Whereas the man who has not love believes in vain, even though his beliefs are true, and hopes in vain, even though the objects of his hope are a real part of true happiness. Unless, indeed, he believes and hopes for this, that he may obtain by prayer the blessing of love. For although it is not possible to hope without love, it may yet happen that a man does not love that which is necessary to the attainment of his hope. As, for example, if he hopes for eternal life, and who is there that does not desire this, and yet does not love righteousness, without which no one can attain to eternal life? Now this is the true faith of Christ which the Apostle speaks of, which worketh by love. And if there is anything that it does not yet embrace in its love, asks that it may receive, seeks that it may find, and knocks that it may be opened unto it. For faith obtains through prayer that which the law commands. For without the gift of God, that is, without the Holy Spirit, through whom love is shed abroad in our hearts, the law can command, but it cannot assist. And, moreover, it makes a man a transgressor, for he can no longer excuse himself on the plea of ignorance. Now carnal lust reigns where there is not the love of God. Chapter 118 When, sunk in the darkest depths of ignorance, man lives according to the flesh, undisturbed by any struggle of reason or conscience, this is his first state. Afterwards, when through the law has come the knowledge of sin, and the Spirit of God has not yet interposed his aid, man, striving to live according to the law, is thwarted in his efforts and falls into conscious sin, and so, being overcome of sin, becomes its slave. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. And thus the effect produced by the knowledge of the commandment is this, that sin worketh in man all manner of concupiscence, and he is involved in the additional guilt of willful transgression, and that is fulfilled which is written, the law entered that the offence might abound. This is man's second state. But if God has regard to him, and inspires him with faith in God's help, and the Spirit of God begins to work in him, then the mightier power of love strives against the power of the flesh, and although there is still in the man's own nature a power that fights against him, for his disease is not completely cured, yet he lives the life of the just by faith, and lives in righteousness so far as he does not yield to evil lust, but conquers it by the love of holiness. This is the third state of a man of good hope, and he who by steadfast piety advances in this course shall attain at last to peace, that peace which, after this life is over, shall be perfected in the repose of the spirit, and finally in the resurrection of the body. Of these four different stages, the first is before the law, the second is under the law, the third is under grace, and the fourth is in full and perfect peace. Thus, too, has the history of God's people been ordered according to his pleasure, who disposeth all things in number, and measure, and weight. For the church existed at first before the law, then under the law which was given by Moses, then under grace which was first made manifest in the coming of the Mediator. Not indeed that this grace was absent previously, but in harmony with the arrangements of the time it was veiled and hidden. For none, even of the just men of old, could find salvation apart from the faith of Christ. 
nor, unless he had been known to them, could their ministry have been used to convey prophecies concerning him to us, some more plain, and some more obscure. Chapter 119 Now in whichever of these four stages, as we may call them, the grace of regeneration finds any particular man, all his past sins are there and then pardoned, and the guilt which he contracted in his birth is removed in his new birth. And so true is it that the wind bloweth where it listeth, that some have never known the second stage, that of slavery under the law, but have received the divine assistance as soon as they received the commandment. CHAPTER 120 But before a man can receive the commandment, it is necessary that he should live according to the flesh. But if once he has received the grace of regeneration, death shall not injure him, even if he should forthwith depart from this life. For to this end Christ both died, and rose, and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Nor shall death retain dominion over him for whom Christ freely died. CHAPTER 121 All the commandments of God, then, are embraced in love, of which the Apostle says, Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. Thus the end of every commandment is charity, that is, every commandment has love for its aim. But whatever is done, either through fear of punishment, or from some other carnal motive, and has not for its principle that love which the Spirit of God sheds abroad in the heart, is not done as it ought to be done, however it may appear to men. For this love embraces both the love of God and the love of our neighbor, and on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, we may add the gospel and the apostles. For it is from these that we hear this voice, The end of the commandment is charity, and God is love. Wherefore all God's commandments, one of which is, Thou shalt not commit adultery, and all those precepts which are not commandments, but special counsels, one of which is, It is good for a man not to touch a woman, are rightly carried out only when the motive principle of action is the love of God, and the love of our neighbor in God. And this applies both to the present and the future life. We love God now by faith, then we shall love him through sight. Now we love even our neighbor by faith, for we who are ourselves mortal know not the hearts of mortal men. But in the future life the Lord both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. For every man shall love and praise in his neighbor the virtue which, that it may not be hid, the Lord himself shall bring to light. Moreover, lust diminishes as love grows, till the latter grows to such a height that it can grow no higher here. For greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Who then can tell how great love shall be in the future world, when there shall be no lust for it to restrain and conquer? For that will be the perfection of health, when there shall be no struggle with death. Chapter 122 But now there must be an end at last to this volume. And it is for yourself to judge whether you should call it a handbook, or should use it as such. I, however, thinking that your zeal in Christ ought not to be despised, and believing and hoping all good of you in dependence on our Redeemer's help, and loving you very much as one of the members of his body, have, to the best of my ability, written this book for you on faith, hope, and love. May its value be equal to its length. End of the Enchiridion by St. Augustine
Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, on April 16, 2007.